The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you. This is Cabinet of Comics, and I'm your host, John Clark. Elliot Serrano is back. Star Trek Lower Decks has premiered on CBS All Access this week. It is the first time Star Trek has done a sitcom-style animated series. Responses obviously been mixed, since this is a really bold experiment in the franchise. Elliot rejoins CBS All Access to watch it. I watched it this week. We've got a lot of opinions. Of course, we've got a lot of opinions on a lot of things, so it might take us a while to get to it. But let's talk to Elliot now. I think the last, we have talked since quarantine. Quarantine has gone on so long that the sub-theme of the podcast has been, how have you been doing since quarantine? And now I'm having people twice on during quarantine. <laughs> so you're the first return quarantine guest, Elliot. Wow. Wow. I'm honored. <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll tell you where, what, what stage I'm at right now. Yeah. Okay, remember in Castaway when Tom Hanks was stranded on that island? Yeah. But he was like, he was like really big That's and overweight. the entire movie, yeah. Right, but in the beginning, he's like all really big and overweight, and then you get then you you flash forward like a half hour, and then he's really sw- slim and in shape and all that. Yeah, I'm I'm the reverse of that. <laughs> I was like, I was slim. I was a much better shape before quarantine <laughs> started, and then I'm I'm doing a reverse uh, 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 Tom Hanks and Castaway here. I I did I had a physical. Uh last week and it was like a very much a quarantine physical it was a lot of questions like how are you handling quarantine and when they weighed me they were like your weight hasn't changed at all so so i'm always 10 pounds heavier than i want to be yeah so i made no progress but i've lost no ground you know who you know who else has gone from like pudgy and overweight to like real skinny in quarantine is tom hanks yep (laughs) well he got corona yeah exactly he actually got the disease, and then you know, then, then yeah. But then he's also Tom Hanks. He can, he's like the new De Niro. He can be whatever weight he wants to be. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's just just where we are as a country, where Tom Hanks is going. Yeah, guys, wear a mask. I had this, and people are like, you can't tell me what to do, Tom Hanks. Tom, <laughs> like if, Tom Hanks can tell me to do anything, but wear, but wear a mask to protect my fellow man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If Woody can't ask you. Tom Hanks wore a dress for your entertainment. <laughs> you can't wear a mask to listen to Tom Hanks. You know what? He needs, he needs, it's him and Peter Scolari have got to get together yes. and tell every, tell the nation. Or tell, maybe the bosom buddies needed to tell, tell the nation, Hey, let's all be bosom buddies. <laughs> let's all be bosom buddies and take care of one another. Take care of one another. You know? Yeah. Maybe if it was Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, then you'd have both sides of the fence. It oh yeah, but Tim Allen. What he told us. Yeah, but the but, but, but Tim Allen's gonna be like, oh, screw the government. You know, they can't tell me what to do. He yeah. tell you know he tell Woody to buzz off. You know. So. Yeah, and you know, and Buzz has just got that dome that goes over his whole head. So he yeah. doesn't care about you. 
got he's like walking around with that plexiglass shield that they're putting up in everybody everybody's uh, offices and in grocery stores and all that. Yeah. Tim Allen. That would be kind of cool. You know, I was like, it was Buzz Lightyear suits. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I was like, because now they're putting out the the Halloween candy. You know, if you go to they are. I saw it at Target. Yeah. That's going to be the one evening where people will wear masks and not complain. That'll probably be the safest evening in America. Yeah, although we can't guarantee they'll be wearing masks that cover their mouths. I always, I always think of how funny it would be if, because like DC did this whole like heroes wear masks, and if like be like the DC heroes, and a guy just starts walking around like Batman, <laughs> he's like, "You told me to wear a mask. That covers none of what we need. You <laughs> covered everything like but the important part." Yeah, really. Yeah. So, um, so I did want to talk to you because um, Star Trek Lower Decks started. Yes. And uh, I was talking to you. You rejoined CBS All Access to watch it. Yes. Now, did you drop off after Picard ended? Yes. Okay. Um, after Picard, I was like many people who dropped it after Picard ended. Remember, people were making these big announcements on online. That now that Picard was over, they were saying, well, CBS All Access, guess I don't need you anymore. <laughs> it was like, how many Facebook uh, statuses were saying that? Yeah, but well, that's CBS's plan, which I, I gotta say is a smart plan. They're greenlighting so many Star Trek shows that they're going to have, they're planning on having new Star Trek 52 weeks a year because Star Trek is the one thing that people are coming for. So we, we're gonna have uh, more Discovery. We're gonna have Picard. We have Short Treks. We're going to have Brave New Worlds, which is the Pike show. Uh, and I feel like there's something else. But at, at the very least, we have a show every quarter. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, I, I will say for what it is, the CBS All Access package is pretty affordable. I mean, you know, yeah. I go, I actually go with the five ninety nine commercial package. Yeah, that's what I have. And well, I don't mind, you know, the, 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 the you get like, it's, at the the most you get like 90 80 seconds worth of commercials yep. which actually gives me a moment to like get up and do something or it's like watching more traditional yeah remember that um, it's like being a kid again yeah you know, <laughs> like, oh, you know what this is good yeah wait hold on because a lot of times when i'm watching let's say something on netflix i find myself pausing it so i can like go to the kitchen to get something or go to the bathroom so i'm like oh commercial break you know yeah. and they and they make the commercial breaks like so you know it's like the end of the act. So it's like, boom, oh, this is a good time to take a break. Well, right? and also they start counting down. They're like, this is 75 seconds of a commercial break. Right. And then and it's then like- know. Exactly, yes. And then if you have generalized anxiety disorder, that's just going to grip you and you're going to <laughs> run. <laughs> I need soda. <laughs> it's got to- You know out. you can pause the commercials too. It doesn't matter. The, the real point is that you failed yourself. <laughs> It's like, ah, crap. Yeah. Commercial over. And then I got to run back. <laughs> oh, wait, I can rewind this. But yeah, I've gotten, my, I've gotten my system down now. I only need 80 seconds to do whatever I need to do. <laughs> Bang, boom. That's, all, that's almost counterproductive to quarantining, is that if you know you can get everything done in 80 seconds, quarantine is just going to seem so much longer. Yes, because I feel like, you know, well, I can do this for a while. Well, that was 80 seconds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, but so it's a, I think it's a pretty a pretty good package. I'm I, I got it. 
Um, I'm back on the, I got the free trial again, just to okay. give it a shot. Yeah. And actually, I'm probably going to keep it. I'll probably stay, stay with it for a while. Well, I saw on your social media, you've been jumping around a little bit. We'll get into Lower Decks, but because um, I think there's a lot to talk about. But what, what were you catching up on that you didn't see any? Had you seen, it looked like you were watching some of the short treks that you hadn't seen all of those. I hadn't seen all the short treks. I'd only seen a, a couple of them. I didn't see all of them. Um, the one you said that I had to watch. Um, the Trouble with Edward. No, The Trouble with Edward. Yeah, no, that one I remember seeing the, yeah. my first time before okay. I dropped it. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that one. No, the one about the, was it Children of Mars? Children of Mars was the prelude to Picard. To Picard. Yeah. Which is really a really good episode. It is. It's really yeah. good. I think Michael Chabon wrote that because he, yeah. he was a showrunner on Picard season one. And then Q&A, which was the, the number one Spock episode where they're caught in the turbo lift. Oh, together. yeah, with Rebecca Romaine. And by the way, um, Rebecca Romaine in her 50s. I find way hotter than when she was Mystique or when she was the '90s It Girl. There's like, yeah, no, she's she's, she's more accessible. She's looking great. I mean, I gotta yeah. say, she looks really good. I mean, just like John Stamos actually looks really good yeah. in you know as older. So maybe you know, there's something about. I wish I looked that good. You never looked that good though. Um, they true. just have to worry about keeping it. You and I are. <laughs> Can't lose what you never had. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, we're not like Alec Baldwin. <laughs> wow. It's funny. Yeah. The whole thing, like, uh, that's right. Though, there are days where I go, oh, remember when Alec Baldwin went through his kind of like big phase? Yeah. You know, and then he lost all the weight again. Yeah. Now when you, you know, big. But it's there. And then I saw the bit with, um, because it's funny, because I guess 30 Rock is going to be, is going to be on the Peacock Network. And they did a new special for yes. Peacock, and and they because they're Peacock, um, which by the way you get for free with Comcast. So right. uh, so I have Peacock now. But, yeah. yeah, I well you know what I have my internet through Comcast, so I now have no cable, and I have eight streaming platforms. Yeah, I have I have I'm, I'm like you. Let's see, I've, I don't have eight. I've got okay, so I've got CBS, Disney, yep. Netflix, Hulu. Amazon Prime, and that, that's it right now. I have Peacock. Um, that might be it. I, the only thing I dropped was DC Universe. Oh, I have HBO Max. And See, I've been was, thinking about that one. I've been thinking. I'm, uh, how much is HBO Max? It's expensive. That's the thing. It's, it's like 15 co- bucks a month? It's like 15 bucks. Basically, you pay for HBO. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you pay for, if you're, for HBO. You're going to pay 15 bucks, and you're going to get the app. But the app's... The app is really the Warner Brothers app because they have most of the DC properties. They have Cartoon Network. They have Looney Tunes. They have Harry Potter. Because HBO is owned by Warner Brothers, right. it's, they're setting themselves up to be the counterpoint of the Disney app. But the Disney app is a third the price. Right. So, it, it, they're going to be getting West Wing soon. West Wing's going to be leaving uh, Netflix. I, um, be, I've never I've never seen all of the West Wing and I feel like I should, but I, I don't know if this is the right time or the wrong time to watch the West Wing. You know, it depends. If you're an Aaron Sorkin fanatic like me, yeah, then, then yeah, go on ahead. If, if you were really into that sort of thing. I like, like for Sorkin. Me, yeah. Well, I, I, I love Sorkin. I mean, the, the Sorkin is like among my top five writers. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's Sorkin, 
Mamet, Elmore Leonard. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's just about, about movies or yeah. writing in general. Tarantino, although Tarantino is kind of losing it. I bought. I don't I, know. what I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the best thing he's made. Is it? See, I bought yeah. it at the red box for like four bucks and it's been sitting, it's oh, been it's... sitting there for, for like weeks. And I'm like, I can't. You like, gotta yeah. watch it. It's great. Um, some of the best performance I've seen from Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. And yeah. it, it's, uh, well, everything is his love letter to some form of movies. And this is his love letter to the sixties where Technicolor's coming in and the hippies are taking over. All right. And you, and you know, as the backdrop is the Sharon Tate murders by Charles yes. Manson. Yeah. So it's set right then, but uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are fictional characters. It's like, it's historical fiction. But yeah, it just takes its time and you want to live with these two characters and he's mature where it's not about, it's not about the flash as much. I mean, there's still cool stuff and there's hyper-violent stuff, but it's not the focus. It's like, I, I was just talking about this movie again. I think it might be better than Pulp Fiction. Okay, I'll watch it and then then I'll get back to you on that. It, yeah, because, I really, like, I really it. liked Inglorious Bastards. I but you, then Django, a, and, Django Unchained, you must be, and then man, Hateful Eight. I, see, I could not make it through Hateful Eight. I had the whole run between Kill Bill and Hateful Eight where I liked them all and I didn't watch them again. And everything else, even Kill Bill, I watched a bunch of times. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is sticking in my brain. I've seen it. I saw it in the second run theater and then I bought it. So I've seen it like two or three times. And I kind of want to see it again. I, th I think it's, uh, it's really, really, really strong. I think he's, he's not out to impress you anymore, which is nice to right. see. Because I'm like, I want, that's my thing. I want characters that I really want to get into. And, and I, I want some really smart, snappy dialogue. And Tarantino's always been good for that. This has a like, lot. Hateful Eight, I didn't like any of his characters in Hateful Eight. Hateful like Eight, I thought, was he made a play because it's just all in that room. And, right. um, and the cast was really strong. It's like, why wouldn't I want to see Kurt Russell and Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Dern and Jennifer Jason Lee in, and Walton Goggins in a room? But yeah. I've seen it once. Like, I, I didn't feel the need to go back to it. And... With Tarantino, that's a pretty serious ding. I mean, it's kind of like Tim Burton, where I love Tim Burton, but I haven't finished the last three movies he made. Really? What was this? I haven't seen Dumbo yet. Um, I, loved, I loved Big Fish. Big Fish was good, but Big Fish is now 15 years old. Oh, wow. That's going back. Okay. Big Eyes was pretty good. I saw that. Um, but Dumbo I didn't see, and um, Mrs. Pettigrew's, Home for Peculiar Children, I couldn't finish. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's something. Else. Oh, the Alice Sweeney in Wonderland. Todd? Didn't he do Sweeney Todd? Yeah, but Sweeney Todd's going back. Sweeney Todd. Well, Alice in Wonderland was I liked. Alice in Wonderland was his, and that was one that I liked the first time, and then I didn't want to see it again. Uh, he did not do the sequel of that, which I heard was horrible. They made a sequel. Yeah, through the Looking Glass. Oh, yeah. it was right. it was not good. Um. But yeah, so then if I, so then back to the point. So mm -hmm. if I can watch, let's say, Brad Pitt in a Tarantino movie where he's very good. Yeah. Or see him like in an Aaron Sorkin movie like Moneyball where he was really, really good. Oh, well, yeah, you I haven't seen Moneyball. Moneyball, I love. Moneyball is like my, like I say for folks who are not baseball fans. Like let's say yeah, you which don't I am know, not. 
You're not. If you don't know bubkis about baseball, watch Moneyball because Moneyball still, for, for a person who knows nothing about baseball, it can still speak to you and it'll, it'll, it'll help you understand why people are so into baseball. Like my favorite, my all-time favorite baseball movie is The Natural. Oh yeah, Robert Redford. Right, and it because that, like, again, I, I remember when I first saw it, I could care less about baseball. And yet I saw it, I was... I was like, oh, this isn't a baseball movie. This is a fairy tale. This is, mm-hmm. this is really cool. And, you know, and yes, they changed the ending from the book. Um, but I, I'm telling you, if I had read the book, there's no way I would have watched, uh, seen the movie. So I'm glad I saw the movie first. Yeah, um, Redford, you've, you start to forget what a presence Redford was. I just finished um, Unspooled, the podcast Paul Shear does with the AFI 100 list. They just finished. They did all 100. And now they're going to retool it and bring it back. But now I've been listening to the episodes I missed and watching those movies. So I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid for the first time in uh, 10 years. And um, yeah, William Goldman. Yeah. And I think, movie. honestly, going back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino is going for that Newman Redford kind of quality. Because, you know, let's get two guys that can carry their own movie and put them in a situation where they need to, they need to be equals. And because they're good actors and movie stars, they're not fighting each other on screen. They're just working together and giving each other enough space. And they have that dynamic. And man, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is just, that holds up so goddamn well. Yeah, the ending is, breaks your heart, but you know, what do yeah. you do? Yeah, yeah. then that's another one they made a sequel to. Without Redford and Newman. Yeah, without Redford, it was William yeah. Catt and somebody else. Well, the only William- thing I, re- I remember about that, it was like the younger years or something, like Butch and Cassidy, the... Early years? They it, well, they called it Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid Ride Again. Oof. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it could have been their younger years or it's on the, because at the end, you know, Goldman always says, or I think Redford says that with the ending of, you know, Butch Cassidy, they're like, well, we, they left it kind of open. Like, did they get away or did they die or did one of them get away and one of them died, you know? Yeah, except, except they're based on true history and no, they didn't. <laughs> Well, the actual like, you know, again, history is written by history is written by the winners. I can see some one really pissed Butch off. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid were not the winners at the end. Of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, one pissed off Mexican going, ah, they're both dead. I don't care. There were eighty-five Mexicans at the end. They like calling the army. Them. You know what it's like. It's it, it, the end of Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid is like the end of the first episode of The Mandalorian, except Robert Redford is not a killbot. <laughs> the one thing I remember about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid come back was Kenner created a line of toys and then that bombed. So then they turned him into Lone Ranger toys and that bombed. And then they turned him into Indiana Jones. So like Indiana Which... Jones had to have the horse that he rode for five minutes. For the, oh, for the, yeah, the, the, the truck, yeah. It wasn't even yeah. the same. Yeah, it wasn't even the, the stallion from the... It's the thing that always gets me. It's like, wait a minute. That's not even the right color horse. No, they just had... They, they had a horse cast in white and they needed it out. So what, what new have you seen on CBS since? We, uh, Children of Mars, which was re- I thought was really powerful. And then you, it, it actually supports the series. It's one of those... Yeah. It reminded me of... I just read um, Marvel's Red Goblin one shot was on sale. And it was one of those typical, like, we have a big event in the Spider-Man book, so here's another book. And it's a bunch of stories that they don't, 
that you don't need to read. It's like, I wouldn't have been lost if I didn't read this. But right. Children, Children of Mars was like that, but really supported the series. It gave it just a little more weight. Right. And a nice lead up. Like if yeah. you hadn't, I, I didn't watch Children of Mars until after I saw Picard. So mm. it was a nice lead up. Um, and then um, Calypso, the Discovery episode where the uh, Discovery picks up this dude who's like stranded in, his, in space. Oh, and it's just him in the computer? Just him in the AI. Yes. Uh, the Discovery's AI, which, it, you know, it was re- what I, re- I really liked it. I, it was, it had a little bit of the flavor from um, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Well, definitely you know, the, that kind of pacing and yeah. too, like, we're but, just going to take our time and live with this. And it was a really touching episode. It was very, very touching. I felt a little Wally in there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, wait a minute, that's from Wally. <laughs> but it was still very good. I re- I really enjoyed it. And it's um, I think it takes place after the uh, season, the season two series, the season two finale of Discovery, because the Discovery's gone into the far future. Yeah, they're basically retooling Discovery for season three. Discovery is such an odd show where. Season one, I th- season one was one of those where I felt like they were trying really hard to not be classic Star Trek. It was like, we're going to rewrite all the rules. We're going to make the Klingons blue. It was like to that point. And then season two, once they brought an Anson Mount as Pike, then it really came to life to the point where now Brave New Worlds is just going to be the Enterprise with Pike. Yeah, he's like a proto-Kirk, you know? Yeah, but he, but I, I, I felt like he took what Bruce Greenwood was doing with that character in the J.J. Abrams movies and fleshed that out. Yeah, it didn't do a whole lot in the movies, though. I mean, no, Bruce, but Bruce Greenwood has like, well, five, ten minutes of screen time in the J.J. Abrams movie. Yeah, but Bruce Greenwood was good enough that I got more of a feel for him than I did from the ca- Jeffrey Hunter in the cage. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Well, most of the time we, we see him in there, it's, you know, I, you, can see why, you can see why they wanted to recast <laughs> the oh, character. Yeah. Well, you can see why they passed on the whole thing. Well, the story was uh, Jeffrey Hunter's, um, I think it was his wife was his manager and like wanted all of this money. And they were like, yeah, we're not doing that. The stroke of genius in hindsight was not casting William Shatner as Captain Pike. Like, ah, we'll change his name. And then they created this whole backstory that they didn't really have because that pilot was not going to air. Right. They ended up cutting it up as the menagerie, but there was no plan to put that ever on the air. So there was no reason to go from Christopher Pike to James T. Kirk. But, it, but in doing so, they opened up this whole chapter, which now we're getting a show that's that. No, I'm sure they, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I love, again, I love um, Anson Mount's um, Pike. I mean, the, yeah. he's, again, I, I mean, yes, he strikes a lot of the same notes of of a of, of a Kirk type, but then Starfleet captains are like that, and Riker did the same thing, you know, you know during. But he was a lot more. Um, the reason I felt he was like Bruce Greenwood was he was he cared about his crew a lot more. Yeah, when like he he was really focused on the well being of each person. Of like, is this person basically living their is this person doing their best? Is this person being actualized? Where like, nobody would ever accuse Kirk of doing that ever. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk told his crew they were going to die every week. 
And you know, uh, and it's it's funny. I've been actually watching some old uh, old uh, classic Trek yeah. episode, and I'm like, oh my god, oh. It's not. I think we've hit the point where it's no longer aging well. It I, hasn't aged well in a while. I mean, there. It's like it's funny because we make fun of it all the time. But I was watching. I forgot the name of the episode where Kirk. They're again. They're on a planet. They're dealing with somebody, and the first thing he wants to do is make it with the one female, yeah. and he does. And yeah. And it's like, again? Like, how many episodes is this going to happen? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's right. We, we make fun of this. But then you think that's kind of like the, the trope of shows in that time. The leading man always, yep. you know, did well, that. And especially if you consider, like, if you think of, <clears throat> as um, Gene Roddenberry said, Star Trek is wagon train to the stars. It's, it was essentially, you know, Western and... Kirk is the marshal and he's, you know, going from town to town and Spock is know, a deputy. So the stories aren't really about the deputy. So, so yeah. yeah you, you, once you get past that and you accept it, it's just, but yeah, some of those episodes were, mind you, the acting in themselves, pretty, still pretty good. I mean, Shatner, yes. Shatner is incredibly charismatic. Yes. You know, and they're all big. The tone of the show is big. Yeah. And I always yes. said that's why Spock stood out because he's the only one in that crew not screaming. Mm -hmm. Everyone between McCoy and Scotty and Chekhov. But it's, but yeah, but, but Kirk does have that inspirational quality about him. Cause like, like going back to West Wing. You know, when you watch that show, you know, they cast Martin Sheen as a president. And, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know any other actor that would have pulled it off like he has. You know, it's interesting. Um, before Sheen was cast as Jed Bartlett, um, they wanted Sidney Poitier to play the role of the president, which would have been, would have been incredible because yeah. you, this is years before Obama. Yeah, this is in the 90s. The, yeah, the West Wing, the West Wing um, came out on the tail end of the Clinton administration. Right. So this is, you know, so we're talking a television show with a, a black president. Whoa. Um, but he apparently he was asking for too much money. So yeah, well, I, I think that's why we never saw Sidney Poitier in any TV series. Yeah. If you've got enough money or whatever that you don't need the job, then hey, right. more on, good on you. Um, and then, um, but then Martin Sheen said, oh, yeah, I worked with Aaron Sorkin before. I'll do it. Boom. And, Mar and Martin it Sheen was hot off the heels of Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> and the last time he played the president was the dead zone. So let's not forget <laughs> that. <laughs> that didn't end so well. <laughs> um, but uh, but um, so, yeah. So then, then I go to, to, to William Shatner and I'm like, wow. It's like, yeah, I can't see anybody else. I can't see the show working with anyone else in this role. Yeah, not, like, at, like, a young, not at that time. Like, I was always so impressed with Chris Pine, where after that first J.J. Abrams, I was like, wow, he's doing Kirk and not doing Shatner. So that, that showed me that that role could have been played by anybody, but not to that extent and not in the 60s. And you needed, but you needed, you needed 
Shatner to lay that kind of groundwork down for the character. Because like for me, with Chris Pine in, in, yeah, I went back and I watched um, Star Trek Beyond again. Yeah, I like Star Trek Beyond. I love that movie. I'm like, I can't believe this movie didn't make any money. Uh, You know, it it gave everyone in the crew something important to do, which no Star Trek movie has ever done. Yes. And then on top of that, it's like Chris Pine. It's like he finally, I think he finally got comfortable with the role of Kirk. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fine. Like, okay, because then I'm going back and I'm watching like, classic Trek with a young William Shatner. I'm like, oh, wow, Chris Pine actually, there was some, there's a little subtlety to the character that a lot of, a lot of folks remember Kirk for the exaggerations, for the big, broad, you know, and they're there. And and all that. But there are also a lot of real subtle things about, again, classic Kirk, you know, from the classic movies, not so much in the, in the films. And with the exception of, um, a Star Trek the motion picture where well Shatner's still a little more subdued. Yeah, and I mean, Wrath, he's playing, of, he, Wrath of Khan is like some nice moments of him thinking about his aging. But he's thinking about his aging, yes. Yeah. But he's still like playing that. Whereas like it whereas in um in um Star Trek the Motion Picture, it's just him, you know, it's this whole I want to get back out there. You know, I'm mm-hmm. just you know, this is what I want to be. I've been I've been at a desk too long, you know. He's that police detective that wants a new case. You know, crap like that. So, so Pine was really like, yeah, you know, I was like, holy crap, he's, he is getting these little subtle bits. And then, of course, um, you had that chemistry between him and, and Zachary Quinto yeah. and, and Carl Urban, that you need that chemistry to work for you to buy them as, you know, the, the right. The, and they the, had the it. Trinity. They absolutely yeah, they had, had it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, that, yeah I guess, Star I, Trek is where I started to take Carl Urban seriously because. Carl Urban is not great in Lord of the Rings. Like he is, Aylmer's not the strongest performance in that movie. And I had kind of written him off. And then, at, but after Star Trek, then there's performances like Dread and The Boys and Thor Ragnarok. And I'm like, wow, like Carl Urban is really, really great. Oh, no, he's very good. I mean, I mean, I love him as Bones McCoy. Mm-hmm. I detest him as, as, um, the uh, the butcher in, in the boys, um, I, just, I thought it was I thought it was funny as Scourge in in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, Why I've not he, seen Dread yet though. Dread's great. Dread's a perfect cult film, where it's just Dread is one of those movies where like it knows what you want and it does it and and then it gets out. It's like Blade. It's like this is all you want Dread to do, you know, because they had already screwed it up. So it's like let's do it for a fifth of the budget that Stallone got. And just do it. And yeah, it, Stallone screwed it up because he took the mask off. And he you don't left take it the law. law. Yeah, yeah, he ran around with no mask. Or, I am the law. I'm the law. And like Rob yeah. Schneider is following him around. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was, yeah. Yeah. That was, there was Americanizing Judge Dredd. You can't do that. You can't yes. So, um, so going back to Star Trek, let's just jump right into, uh, to lower decks, because like, because this is something that's never been tried with Star Trek before. There was a Star Trek animated series in the seventies, but it was just try- it was a filmation show, and it was just trying to do more Star Trek, which you would think on an expanded budget because it's animated, but it was a much more limited budget. Yeah, because they couldn't move. 
Well, they couldn't move. Plus, they couldn't afford to get all the actors to voice the roles, right? So and James Doohan voiced everybody. Yeah, they were like, and they, some of them were like, some of the actors were a little pissed, and it was some of them wanted to quit if some didn't come in. Yeah, yeah. well, they wouldn't alter, offer Walter Koenig a job, so he took a writing gig and he wrote one episode. Yeah, but that was a so, film. That was a big filmation thing because um, the seventies. Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward. They spent all their money on Adam West and Burt Ward and then they got this voice actor, Lenny Weinrib, to do every single villain. Like he was Joker and Penguin and Riddler. And um, I did not know who he was. I'm like, who is this guy that they're making do all these? And I have been on a serious Dick Van Dyke show binge since Carl Reiner passed away. And he shows up as um, as like a nightclub comedian that they know. That like he'll he would come in and pitch jokes to the Alan Brady show, or they would huh. go to a resort and he was the headliner, and his voice was driving me crazy. And I looked him up and I was like, he was an impressionist. So filmation was just like, you're an impressionist, you'll work for this money, do everybody, and that's hmm. how they treated James Doohan. No, because no, James Doohan was good. He James Doohan was good with accents, which is why he created Scotty. Um. Yeah. So like, t- okay. So I watched. What did, I can't remember if I read the reviews to Lower Decks first or I watched Lower Decks and then read the reviews because it's like it's funny you have two camps right now uh, for the um, for this thing you have the Trekkies who um, who think hey this is great it's more Star Trek it's different it's new it's funny it's you know some of the writers from Rick and Morty. Yay. You know, and, and, and then and a and very then, similar look to the character designs. Yeah. And then you have the trickies who absolutely hate it yeah. because it like, it totally besmirches what they feel is what the spirit of Trek is. And this can't be Canon. And, and this, this can't take place in the actual Trek universe because it's a parody and, and, and it's not smart enough. It's not funny enough. I think it was, <laughs> John Suntress right now. I love, I love John Suntress. I love John. I love John. Don't he get me hates wrong. Discovery. He, he hates, hates Picard. Discovery. I he, know. He, and, he, and he won't budge on Picard. I've tried to sway him over, <laughs> and it's always ended with like, yeah, John, I respect your opinion, and then I walk away. Because, man, like, okay, great. And then, uh, I mean, I love John, but, man, I'm telling you, I don't know what he's – I seriously don't know what he's looking for because, again, I go back – Okay, I've been locked in my house for months now, and I've yeah. actually come back. I said, "Hey, you know, I've been. I really enjoy Picard. I I love Picard. I, I really liked, liked it. I like Picard as much as I like The Mandalorian. I think they both do the same job. They go to the heart of what I love about that franchise, and they hit it as hard as possible. Like Picard is never going to be as action packed as The Mandalorian, but that's not what Star Trek is. Like I felt like each of those pushed the franchise in the direction that I care about. And right. that was the best thing about 2019. And I don't want to say the best thing about 2020 because there is no best thing about 2020. Um, the two kids that listened to Phil Collins in the air tonight, that viral yeah, video yeah. is the best uh-huh. thing about 2020. When they hear the drum. <laughs> yeah, everyone. I was expecting one of them to punch the other like Mike Tyson <laughs> yeah. in the hangover. I, I like uh, the best part of that is when it starts, he goes, yeah, I get it. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's how I that's feel. Really that's how I kind of feel. But then, yeah. and again, so I'm like, I go back and I've watched some old Next Gen stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, we, we treat Star Trek The Next Generation like it's the Bible and that there's, there, there are these, you know, the episodes and the stories are all sacred texts that must be revered and nothing I mean, will ever approach them. And I'm like, oh man, there's some stuff. I was watching even some of the better, better episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that, ooh, boy, that one, oof, that one's got a few warts here and there. The special effects sure don't hold up. Some folks, no, I, some, I, acting, some of the acting doesn't hold up either. Yeah. No, I missed. I, um, I've talked about this before. I missed most of it when it originally aired because the first season is so bad that I was like, yeah. "I've had it." So I missed Best of Both Worlds. I missed. I missed all of the big moments until Leonard Nimoy showed up as Spock, and I watched it with. I watched that episode, Reunification, with the jaded view, thinking, "All right, this is just going to be a tie into Star Trek VI, and I want to see Star Trek VI." And then I was like, oh, this show is really, really good. I'm going to start watching it. And I watched it to the end. But the next episode was Picard trapped in an elevator with three little kids. Yeah, yeah. See? Yeah. And one of those kids had just done a Seinfeld. <laughs> That's, oh, that was cracking me up, too. It was like seeing, I'm like watching all these episodes. It's like it was weird because, um, what was it? It was, I was watching... Next Gen, The West Wing, and wait for it, wait for it, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Oh, is that streaming anywhere or did you pull it? Yes, IMDb, IMDb. I need to watch that again, yeah. They have the entire season, they have all the episodes. And IMDb, you do that, it's free, again, but you just have commercials. And there aren't many commercials. There are like one or two commercial breaks throughout the whole thing. Is there an app for that? Or are you just watching it on imdb.com? I have it on my, I have uh, the smart, the fire stick. So uh-huh. I think, yeah, there is an app. You can, yeah, I'm pretty oh, sure. I'm sure Apple TV has it. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to look that up. But so I'm watching that and I'm like, holy crap. They're like, Denise Crosby shows up in yeah. Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. And then one of the dudes who's, I forget the actor's name, who was a reporter, one of the pool reporters in the West Wing, also in the Adventures of Briscoe County yeah. Jr. And it's like this strange, like, you know, intersection of all my fandoms, you know, these actors are just popping up here and there. And they're like, talk about parallel universes. The best story um, uh, I, I heard about Adventures of Briscoe County, is it started in 1993, and it started the same year as the X-Files. And the X-Files was mad because... Yep. County got all of the advertising budget. Robert Feeder, in writing about those two shows, this was back in during the, the beginning of the Fox Network, you know, or they had right. married with children. Yeah, they're just a little far. We've got The Simpsons. Uh, uh, for Herman's Kate. Head was we've a got, show. Duet yeah, we, was another show. Duet. I, yeah, Remember I watched duet? a lot of Duet. Yeah, that went, guy, I've seen that. That guy, everyone's, that guy showed up in an episode of um, West Wing, too. The, yeah. the lead. Those guys just work. Ellen DeGeneres came out of that because they retooled it into a real estate show. And she was, she was working there. And then, um, wait, hold on. Where, where they, they, picked up, they picked up its Gary Shandling show. They would rerun those. And the Simpsons, the Simpsons was the first thing they really got because it came out of Tracy Ullman. Right. And then they so then, but, that, but then Feeder goes, Feeder goes that Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. has new up and coming New up-and-comer Bruce Campbell, sure to be a star. This is going to be like the hit show. It's X-Files. right after Army of Darkness, too. It's like the next yep. thing Bruce Campbell did. 
Yep. And then he goes, X-Files will probably be one of those cult television shows. That runs for 10 years and has two movies. (laughs) It is. It just ran for 10 years and had two movies. Oh, and then a reboot 10 years later with the original. Right. So it's like, I feel, I feel for, I feel for feeder, but boy, he got things a little backwards on that, you know? Yeah. Briscoe County is so weird. It has that, it has that production look of the flash. Like the yes. John Wesley ship flash. It's like, this is how we were doing. This is how we were doing sci-fi blockbuster television in the early nineties. And it was, you had Carlton Cuse and Jeffrey Bohm yeah. on it. Bohm Jeffrey. on it before he passed away. Um, right. Was, and Bohm had written uh, Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Crusade and the, 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 the phantom. Yeah. And, and Carlton Cuse before he went on to create lost with, yes. um, with um, JJ Abrams. Damon Lindelof. Yeah. And it was me. And they were paired together because Lindelof was a young guy who didn't have a, a track record, and Cuse was like the measured hand. So, so then you watch that first episode. They, they you watch the pot, you know, the first episode of Briscoe County. I'm like, oh man, this thing has Last Crusade written all over it. Yeah, it does. And it had, had a whole bunch of things like, oh, you can tell this. Yeah, that, with him and his some, dad, and yeah, yep. yep. It's a yep, fun show though. Sheena yeah. Easton keeps showing up. And then a really young Kelly Rutherford. Oh, oh, oh. before <laughs> yeah. she got huge in Gossip Girl. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, to, for real. I mean, I've got actually, I've got the complete series on DVD. I used I to. Have, off of, I ended up. I bought it off of Amazon for like twenty bucks one one time. I yet to open it um, because I actually had the. Um, <laughs> I bought. This is how big a Briscoe County Junior fan or Bruce Campbell fan I was. Mm-hmm. Um, before, when you wanted to get certain shows, um, that some the licensing was weird for Briscoe County. If I wanted to buy it, I actually bought it through Time Life, where they did they send you the. I had the, the Muppet the Show. Once a month. I had the Muppet Show like that. It was like DVD, yeah, yeah. three episodes, and they showed up at my house on September tenth, two thousand and one. So oh, that's the not, next- that's not an ominous sign. The next week, anytime I could not watch the news anymore, I'm like, can I just see Kenny Rogers sing the gambler for some puppets? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, that yeah, got so, me through that week. And then I had the VHS tapes. So then I, I had like, I had like two of them and then yeah. I stopped because it was kind of expensive. Yeah. But um, going back, oh, speaking going- of the Muppets, by the way, um, and stuff that I'm just jumping into and we'll, we'll get back to. To Lord X, which is the top of the show, yeah. I'm not talking. I'm not done talking about lower dicks. Right. I, I would love listeners to know. After eight years, I try to stay on topic. <laughs> it's, usually, it's not me a lot of the time anymore. But if somebody's saying something really interesting, say about labyrinth, yeah, we're going to talk about labyrinth. Mm-hmm. That new the Muppets Now on yes. Disney Plus. Yeah, I'm. I'm as, I was worried. I was really worried. Me too. Cause and I don't, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know why I was worried. Muppets have been like Looney Tunes where they constantly rebooted every couple of years. And sometimes it's pretty good. And sometimes it's way off, but it's never the original. It's like, there have been some Looney Tunes shows I loved. There was one five years ago that was really dry where Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck lived in a house in a cul-de-sac in the suburbs. And I adored it. And then they re, it ran two seasons. They rebooted it again. They rebooted it again. They've been doing that with the Muppets. But now that there's been two episodes and it's not just one, I do really like it. 
it's it's pretty good. I gotta say, it, it's like it hit it hit on the formula that it needed that it quite didn't quite have with the previous the ABC version yeah, where we're right. doing like the Office type real real. Even though, but then again, like Disney Plus has all those episodes on on their their channel, and yeah. I actually and they don't have watch. and they don't have the Muppet Show. Yes. What, what's up with that? I think right. uh, from what I've always heard, it's music rights because they did they would do like six, seven big songs every episode. So it's, okay, they never finished the DVDs. They never the Disney Disney doesn't want to pay for the music. It's not well. Yeah. Well, they are losing money hand over fist now, but whatever. Yeah. Well, you know what it is. You know what it is. They do cost analysis and they go, "This is how many people care about the Muppets and will buy it. This is how much it it will cost us to license seventeen Beatles songs." <laughs> 14 Paul Simon songs and a couple of Bob Dylan's. And it's like, yeah, those numbers are not the same. Not the same. Yeah. So, so I, so I went back and watched that the ABC one that, that people didn't like. And they're going, you know what? I mean, is it perfect? No, but there were some, there was some genuinely funny stuff. It was a kind of a different type of Muppet show, a different take. Uh, probably it skewed a little more mature, more adult. But I enjoyed it. I'm like, yeah. going, why, why was I so grumpy about this the first time around? You the know? Last, they changed showrunners at the very end. And I think they got, uh, I want to say Nell Scovell was somebody who like come from 30 Rock, but loved the Muppets. And it does this hard right. And you can see, okay, the new showrunner knows where to go with it. And there was no time. She got like three yeah. episodes and they brought yeah. it down. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back and rewatch that. But I, all I know, Muppets now. The the second episode when Pepe Lepron was uh, yes. hosting the the, the yes. game show that Scooter's trying to run, and it's just and Pepe's like throwing all the rules out and just making up shit as he goes. Yes, I was I was laughing so hard. I was just laughing so damn hard. I'm like, oh, okay, this is. Don't tell me that there's something wrong with the Muppets because they're on it right now. Yeah. This is, they're, t- they're totally on it. And it was just, again, it, it, there wasn't any humor. Like, well, again, like with the, 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 the previous Muppet show, there was some stuff that skewed kind of adult. Mm-hmm. And, like, there were some jokes in there that I don't know if kids would have gotten them, you know? Yeah, it was like Fozzie was, Fozzie was dating a woman whose parents were racist towards yeah. years. There was yeah. like, yeah, it didn't quite resonate. But it, but in this case now, it's like, the, it's more, it's, there's still quote unquote modern issues, but they're, they're dealing with it in a, in a more kid friendly right. way. Right. Well, the Muppets have done really well on YouTube. So you can see that Muppets now is like, let's, we're going to create five YouTube videos and package them in a half an hour. Because originally they were supposed to be a series of shorts and then they decided, let's get a framing sequence, which so far these two episodes have been Scooter uploading the show. Right. And but that's a way Miss, in and out of them, right? And the Miss Piggy bits are working are, are pretty funny. Yeah, the RuPaul <laughs> stuff was great. Now, I don't see why they can't just keep doing it, just keep producing it. Yeah, because you don't you don't need everybody together in a studio to do it. Right, and they don't have them. Like yeah. even the Muppets are doing Zoom now. Yes, which is clever. I'm like, did they do that all the time, or they're doing that just for the show, or was it something that they weren't planning on doing, but now they're doing because of what's going on. Right. I think a little bit, because a lot of the YouTube videos were Zoom. I, one of the things I liked about the YouTube videos was they would always end with Statler or Waldorf like uploading the video and making fun of it. Oh, 
instead of sitting in a box. And that's the thing about the Muppet Show. As much as we love the Muppet Show and it's it's a classic, it's was based on the variety shows at the time, which were already fading, and it harkened back to vaudeville, which was dead. So you can't do that now. So every attempt has been this big swing to modernize the Muppets. The only one that really worked was the Jason Segel movie, which was about the nostalgia of Gen Xers for the Muppets. But right. then once they had that established, then the next movie, they didn't really have anywhere to go, yeah. which was Muppets Most Wanted, the Tina Fey and Ricky Gervais one. And then they, they, they did one movie. It was kind of like Star Wars. They did Force Awakens, <laughs> which was all about nostalgia for what Gen Xers loved about Star Wars, and then hit the wall. Oh, man. I'm... But Mandalorian is clearly gotta... nostalgia for Gen Xers. Okay, back to Mandalorian. Oh, since yeah. you bring that up. Because, again, I mean, I, I, I know I, I've talked about this on your show before. I'm like, to me, I mean, Mandalorian... It's okay. I mean, I'll be honest. If not for the child, or as everyone calls Baby Yoda, I don't think the show is anything as does. People don't go nuts for the show like they're going. Okay, like if it was, if it was the Mandalorian and a baby Ewok, no. The Mandalorian and a baby Ugnat, mm-hmm. no. Uh, the Mandalorian and a baby. Uh, um, um, and, um, hammerhead. Well, I forgot the the species of the, yeah. of the hammerheads. People don't care. The fact that it's a, a baby Yoda child and it, the puppet in itself works brilliantly. Yep. I mean, so brilliantly. Even when I went back on the Disney Plus uh, menu and I look at um, the Disney um, the series on the making of Mandalorian, and then they have the one episode where they're talking about creating the puppet. That show is really, really good. I didn't it's realize really- how involved John Favreau was until I saw that making up. I figured he greenlit it, but it all came full circle because the thing I, lo- the thing I love about the Mandalorian baby Yoda side is it feels like, it feels like you're pl- somebody's playing with Kenner action figures out in the backyard. And then I realized, well, John Favreau is our age and he's like a kid from Queens that grew up with Star Wars. This is exactly what he did, which is what we did. And that's the feeling he brought, which no one has done. Like Disney, Force Awakens worked because Disney, I felt like Force Awakens was a two hour treatise of Disney saying, we're not doing the prequels. Like here's everything but, but, you like but, about Star Wars. That's what we're going to, that's the Star Wars we're going to do. Okay. But, but I mean, again, I, and that's another, I just finished rewatching funny I, I just watched rise of skywalker again mm-hmm. yesterday as i was like just working i had it on in the background i'm like oh i could have this on the background it's funny how i was actually picking up more plot points about it having it on in the background than in the previous few times when i was actually sitting down and watching yeah. it but i'm like jj abrams in his two installments makes more no i take that back because uh, uh, um, um ryan johnson did the same but the sequel trilogy makes so many references to the prequel trilogy. And J.J. Abrams gives Kylo Ren Anakin Skywalker's hair. In the, in the first 10 minutes of the movie, he talks about a clone army. You know, they make, it's like, uh, they, he, he is not going to deny that they'd happened. Uh, but speaking to, you know, not only Favreau and how he's like, Yes, I through the the whole um, series, I got a, a real good sense of how Favreau is shepherding this show through, and talking about all the technology that they're developing to make yeah. the show. But Just listening the whole to, thing about the volume blew my mind. The volume, yes, the big yeah. room, 
where it's you think you're outdoors, but it's just you're surrounded by screens and a set, and it can be anywhere you want to be. That's like yeah. it's like the the holodeck in Star Trek. It is, and the, and yeah. the the floor, the walls. And the ceiling are or digital screens. And instead of having them on green screen the whole time and matting it in later, and Favreau said he got the idea after doing Jungle Book. Jungle Book. And Lion, uh, King. Lion King, for sure. Yeah. yeah, a lot of stuff came through Lion King. Yeah, well, Lion King was an evolution of Jungle Book, and Mandalorian is yeah. an evolution of Lion King. And it's literally like, even when they're out in the desert, they didn't even go out in the desert. Yeah, they didn't need to. Yeah, they brought amazing. the desert to them. They had somebody go out into the desert, take a great big like panoramic picture, then they put the whole thing into a computer, and boom, it's there. And they're they never leave like uh, uh, Los Angeles or wherever they are. You know what? Mandalorian is going to have no problem with quarantine. Yep. And then, but then, so you listen to Favreau talking about the tech and how he, you see how he's shepherding it through, and and then you had like in all the episodes, you had two episodes where you had these huge chunks where Dave Filoni is explaining the mythos of Star Wars, like the role of the Jedi Knights, you know, how they do things and um, like how Duel of the Fates in episode one, you know, when, when uh, Qui-Gon and Anakin and both, um, I'm sorry, when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan fight Darth Maul and Qui-Gon is killed and that is really de- determines the fate of young Anakin Skywalker. And he brings up the one point that always bothered me about the prequels and the thing that, you know, if George Lucas was trying to say this the whole time in the prequels, he, he, I'm, I'm afraid as brilliant a, a, a guy he might be, it didn't get across. Is how he's saying that, that the fact that Qui-Gon dies just determines Anakin's entire fate because Qui-Gon should have trained Anakin, not right. Obi-Wan, because Qui-Gon was the father figure he needed. Yes. And that, like, the Jedi of that time, like, are, are talking about... You know, you know, Qui-Gon would have been the one who says, no, we need to raise this boy, you know, in a loving home with a family. That's what he needs. And the, and the Jedi are all about, you know, letting go of all that stuff. And I'm there going, that is the one issue, I, the one problem I always had with the prequel trilogy is that the Jedi were so detached and distant and emotionalist. I never cared for any of them when they finally die. Right. You know, no. when Mace Windu dies, I'm like, whatever. You know what? You're an asshole anyway. Well, yeah. when Mace Windu dies, I'm like, it, it was checking off box. I'm like, well, he doesn't survive to see the original right. trilogy. So he's too big a character to knock off screen. Let's have a scene where we do that. But, but then, that's it. But then that moment at, uh, when they're dueling a Musafar and it's right near the end and, and Obi-Wan goes, I failed you, Anakin. You know, yeah. and, and there's that. I remember when I was watching the movie in the theater. And that scene hits, and the music, you know, that change, the Duel of the Fates mm-hmm. music changes, and it hits that, that kind of like that somber, you know, pause and everything. And I'm like sitting there, and I'm getting emotional. And I'm there going, holy shit, I've been waiting to have this feeling through this entire prequel trilogy, and it hasn't happened until near the end of the third movie. So I'm like, I wish... I really wish Lucas had given me more of that in the prequels. And yeah. I think that's why a lot of people, a lot of folks who really liked the, the classic trilogy just didn't care for the prequels. Because you didn't, you didn't care as much about the characters, yeah. you know? No, I agree. I mean, you, you could boil the whole prequel trilogy down to Sith. You don't really even... Phantom Menace is just him try, getting the, shaking the rust off. There's like, there's, I, I, 
I, I will say of the three, I like Phantom Menace the most. Really? I like Sith the most. Sith is good. Just the problem is, is the acting. I mean, I have to buy. Yeah. I have to. Christian, uh, Hayden Christensen is a really good actor, but Lucas is not a good director when it comes to getting those performances out and of And especially out of green screen because Natalie Portman really suffered. I mean, nobody's going to say Natalie Portman's not a great actor. She's not yeah. great in these movies. No. The only one who was passable was, um, Ewan, was McGregor. Um, um, Ewan McGregor, which, well, just like Alec Guinness in the, mm -hmm. in the um, in classic trilogy where he just showed up and blew everybody off the screen, with the exception of Harrison Ford. Yeah. You know. Now, um, I remember when the topic of this was, short, was uh, Lower Decks. <laughs> well, Lower Decks. Okay, so let's, I, I can bring this let's back to Lower Decks. decks. We, got, we got sidetracked on... The, the anger towards lower decks. The anger, but see, here's the thing. And it's like, they, well, these people have been angry about every Star Trek thing that's come out. See, and that's okay. As someone who cut his teeth in in geek in geek media and geek culture, as being a guy who was was critical critical of of a lot of stuff that was going on. I mean, you know, uh, the show, the YouTube show that I had. I mean, you know, Brian Bendis could do nothing right in my eyes. You know, for the longest time. You know, he, he but, starts well. He starts very well, and then he just gets he falls in love with certain ideas, and then and, he and then he shows up. Then he shows up at a West Wing uh, panel, and he asks Aaron Sorkin, "Hey, I wanted to ask you a question as a writer." I'm like, oh, shut up. I'm legit. I'm watching this West Wing panel, what and was the the question he was asking Sorkin about the season four finale, uh -huh. when it was Sorkin's last episode and he's setting up, it was the whole thing with Zoe Bartlett is kidnapped and um, there's all this stuff going on. And he, and then, but then he leaves the series after that. He quit. Yeah. It's like and Dan then, Harmon. And, I'm sorry? Like Dan Harmon on Community. Like that. Well, it's like, and depending on who you ask, he, he either meant to quit or he didn't quit. And I mean, I've, I've heard his accounts and his accounts see, shift just a little here and there. But then when it came to the following season, the first episode of season five, Sorkin's no longer on there. And, um, and John Wells, who is the showrunner, you know, on the show who got the thing made, asked Aaron Sorkin, okay, so what was supposed to happen next? You know, how do we resolve this? And Aaron Sorkin said, I, you know what, I don't know. I never really, I just set it up, but I didn't really think of how it was going to happen next. I was going to do that when I started writing the episode. And that's what Michael so, Piller did with Best of Both Worlds. He, he signed a contract for one season. And when they did the Locutus cliffhanger, he thought he was going to quit. And then when he decided to stay, they, were, they asked him what, how he was going to pay that off. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, which is why Best of Both Worlds 2 isn't quite as strong. I, I thought best. It was, a, well, you had, you know, it was the denouement. Yeah. Said, after everything else. So, right, but Lower yeah, Decks. Lower Decks. Back to Lower Decks. The writing on Lower Decks. Eh, I will say this, and this is, I did not know it was the Rick and Morty guys at first who mm -hmm. wrote it. Um, it had, I was like going, why did this feel kind of like, I thought, oh, because, see, to me, Rick and Morty is Dan Harmon. So. Yeah, well, uh, it's also Justin Roiland, I think. Yeah, but I mean, but you throw out the names that I think of. The first name that comes to mind right. is Dan Harmon. So I didn't see his name attached to any of this. No, it's not. It's Mike Mahan. It wasn't Mike, a it's Mike Mahan, McMahon, McMahan, I believe, who yeah. um, wrote a lot of Rick and Morty. Okay. 
is the showrunner of this. So he's bringing that sensibility, but yeah. it's not, it's not part. Well, certainly it's not part of that universe. It's part of the established Star Trek universe, which I appreciated that it was, it was having fun. It was being silly without breaking anything. And actually what I walked away with was um, at the beginning of quarantine, I was looking for things to binge and I'm not a big Seth MacFarlane fan, but a lot of people love the Orville. So I was like, you know what? Quarantine's going to last three weeks <laughs> and I can spend three <laughs> weeks watching the Orville. So I watched all of the Orville and I, I still, I still struggle with it. There's things I, it's, I think it's a vanity project that Seth MacFarlane's a next generation super fan and he's trying to remake it. Yeah. Um, when I watched Lower Decks, I was like, this is what Seth MacFarlane thinks the Orville is. Where it's yeah. this loving yeah. tribute that is a comedy. It's not yeah. making fun of Star Trek, but it's having fun with Star Trek. Yeah, but there are folks who, there are Trek fans who, they, the, the things that the Orville does, they don't have a problem with because the Orville does not take place in the Trek universe. Whereas the Lower Decks does take place in the Trek universe. So it's like, it's messing with the established, quote unquote, established canon. Or, you know, Star Trek has to have a particular tone to it. You know, the characters have that's to be- That's patently ages. untrue. Well, I'm just saying that's how some fans view yeah. it. I'm not I, saying I, that's I, I know that's how you, I know you're not on the side of that, but like, we were just talking about classic Trek versus Next Generation, versus Deep Space Nine, oh, versus yeah. Discovery, versus even Picard. Those are, that's a different tone. Every, it's a different era, it's a different audience. They're not like the, Star Trek has a much broader range of tone than Star Wars does. Oh yeah, which is uh, which brings me back to John Suntress, where it's like he complains about Discovery in certain areas. I go, dude, why did you have a problem with that on Discovery, but you didn't have a problem with that on Deep Space Nine? You know, <laughs> I just finished. Um, this is when I really fell into quarantine despair. After Dad, I love you. If you're listening to this, just so you know, I love you. I respect you. John Sundress is a way better, bigger name, bigger person than either one of us. Yes. Yeah. So again, I say that with love, my friend. I mean it sincerely. For a second, you were talking to me, and I thought you were really worried about me because I started (laughs) quarantine despair. Because you you immediately interject with John, I love you. I'm like, I'm not on a ledge. (laughs) But yeah, but I when I finished the Orville, I started Deep Space Nine, and I really thought quarantine would be over by the time I finished Deep Space Nine. Now I'm looking at the abyss, which expands to nothingness. And I'm going back, I went back and I watched, um, because I said, okay, I need this. My history with with, um, the captain of Deep Space Nine, notwithstanding. Cisco, yeah. Yeah. um, um, I wanted to go back and I said, you know what, I want to go back and read, watch all of Deep Space Nine. Because I remember I watched it from the beginning. Like you, I like what, what what happened with me first. Star Trek: The Next Generation. I was one of those people. I saw the very first episode of Next Gen in syndication yeah. the day it aired because I wanted to be on the ground floor of the new Star Trek. And then I watched it and I was like, "Oh my god, this is terrible!" And yep. I tried watching a couple more episodes after that. And I was like, "Oh, guy, can't do it this." It gets a little worse. It gets worse. Yes, there was like, no lieutenant, y'all. <laughs> And then I, I just dropped it all together. And then I started dating a gal who was a big Star Trek fan. And lo and behold, we, we watched it 
she said, oh, can you watch this with me? Will you watch Star Trek Next Generation with me? And I remember going, eh, okay, I'll, yeah, sure. I watched, I didn't like it. But what was happening was they um, were showing, it was the season premiere of the second part. It was a season three, season three premiere, the second part of Best of Both Worlds. That would be season four because it was a season four. finale. It was the third, and the third season, yeah. right, okay. Season four premiere, and they had just, the, the, the station had just shown the season three finale, and then it was like, then you go, you know, you pull it on Riker, it goes, fire. And you're like, I went, holy shit, what happens next? And she goes, well, the next, they're going to show the next episode right now. And I go, you've been waiting all this time for the, for the end of this cliffhanger? And then, and then we saw it, and went, oh, and then, and then boom. And then I was back on the train at that point. Yeah. I was watching it. Yeah, like I said, it He's, took me another season or two before right. Spock showed up. So I missed And it's funny, too. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because series, for the most part, in my experience, they, if they get a chance, if, you know, there are some shows that don't really find themselves until around that season two or three. X-Files is the same. Yeah. You go back and you watch the first two seasons of X-Files, it's like, ooh. You yeah, know, it's like one or two good ones. Season three, they really hit their stride. It really hits the ground, right? Um, then Deep Space Nine, I started watching it. And I was like, I was with it, with it, with it. And I was like, okay, I, okay, I can't watch this anymore. And I actually dropped the show. I think I dropped the show around the time they got the Defiant. And they had the whole thing with the Dominion. Uh, that's when I was really into it. And I, ne- I never dropped Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine dropped me. Because in New York, once Voyager was on the competing network they didn't treat it well and they started bouncing it all over um, the schedule, which they never did with Next Gen. They used to show it Next Gen twice a week. And then it was a two-hour block with Deep Space Nine. So I missed six, I would miss six months at a time of Deep Space Nine. I didn't get to finally see the whole season until the DVDs were out. Oh, then talk about Voyager. Voyager is another one I started watching and I was there going, there, there is so much potential with this show. There's so many things they could be doing right now and they're not doing anything. They're just doing the same old, same old. It's like, yeah. all right. And then Which Enterprise, is why, Enterprise, they did that again. Yes. Oh, Enterprise, I couldn't get past. It was fine. I, I tried. I watched the first two episodes. And mind you, I am a Scott Bakula stan. Scott Bakula not only one of my favorite actors, a wonderful human being. I know that because personally, Scott Bakula in person showed me an a, 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 a act of kindness, one of the darkest days of my life. So I'll always love Scott. But after getting through that stupid 80s rock melody that they use for the, the, the theme or 90s rock, for the theme for Enterprise, I'm like, okay, come on. Oh, give me something. And no, I couldn't watch it anymore. And then they, then I would see them. They brought T'Pau in. You know, they cast a sexy gal. Was it Jolene Blaylock? Yeah, she was a seven of nine, but a Vulcan. But a Vulcan. They brought her in. Or she was supposed to be T'Pau, but they said they could. Roddenberry didn't. I don't know Roddenberry was gone by them, but they, they couldn't do it. Anywho, so, um, so I couldn't. I couldn't go get through it. So Discovery... Which, again, I'm here going, okay, it seems like new Star Trek stuff doesn't quite work. You know, and oh, wait, Discovery sounds a lot like Voyager to me right now. And, ooh, they're at war. Sounds a lot like DS9. I'm not sure. The fact that, boom, right, up, right from the get-go, I, start, I liked it. And if anything, there were characters in the beginning who I didn't quite care for, who I ended up loving at the end. You know? 
I mean, come on. You know, it, 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 the Discovery right now is, I'm really looking forward to, to, to Discovery coming back because I'm just so invested in them. And it seems like they're actually taking Trek in the, the directions that I've been waiting for them to do with that show for a while. Right. So how are you feeling now with Lower Decks? How are you feeling that that fits in? It's like the first two, here's the way I look at it. So I was, I'm watching, I said the first two are on the, on the no, I'm sorry, not the first two. There was no, one episode, the first one. Right? Yeah. You know, we only have one so far. It was like, I was like, eh. I'm, I'm, in my own head, I'm thinking about all the reviews I read where all the critics got to watch like the first four. Mm. I remember when I used to have enough juice that I would get those screeners. Yeah. I also remember when it was physical media and you would give them to me after. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> now nice. what they do is that the publicist sends you a link to a, to a site and then you have to enter a special code yeah. and then stream it for you. Because they know that. They know that if they send people screeners, those screeners end up getting passed around. Like there's a guy at GN who would like give, give away all the screeners at the, at, the, at, the, at the advanced screenings we go to. Anywho. Um, so after watching that first episode, I'm like, it felt like a bunch of like um, Trek nerds who also do comic improv were playing a Trek-based RPG. So like, improv, just like, so like improv Star Trek. Improv Star Trek. Wait, wait, and they were just ripping. And they're just, you know, and they're just having some fun with it. Like they were like, no, no, the the, the story in the book, and the, we have to follow these rules. But we're gonna like, you know, we're gonna fuck. Oh yeah, oh, I'm playing with a bat left. And ah, oh oh shit, I I I almost cut your leg off. Sorry. And and that's what it felt like. It felt like the dude was just, you know, McManic McManican. Uh, was, was sitting down and just say, oh, yeah, 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 this would be funny. No, no, no. Or he sat, he sat with a, a, his buddies and they all sat down, oh, what would be funny if this happened here? And this happened there. Oh, you're being suckled by a giant space bug right now. And <laughs> but, but I'm fine. I'm fine with that because uh, as entertaining as it is, and I think this is in a way Star Trek's, Star Trek is trying to do Muppets now. Like how can we have fun Star Trek? And and be current, how can we be like Rick and Morty? But I think we're in a very novel time for Star Trek where we've, at, at Star Trek's most, we had two series on the air and one movie. Now we're looking at four series. If this one is not important and moves the universe ahead, and if, if it's just this little show that doesn't have much of an impact, but it's entertaining, we can afford that because you know what? Right after that, Brave New World is going to come out. Discovery season three is going to come around. Picard season two is going to come around. We have Star Trek is going in every direction at once. It's going a little, like I said, Discovery's jumped way into the future. Picard is extending the next generation timeline. Although Short Trek says like it's clearly set in that era. Like it looks like Voyager. A lot of this, a lot of the set design where it's like the silver with the harder edges, but it's got the Lacars interfaces. I, I don't have a problem believing that the Cerritos is in the fleet, that it's one, it's not the flagship. And it's, and they say in the first episode, they don't do first contacts. They do second contacts. They're, yeah, it's they a lower work. ship. And these are the lower <laughs> of the lowest. I could kind of see this happening. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I can see it is happening too, but it's like, again, we can't, I don't think we should get all caught up in that because 
if, if now, if we've learned anything and I've learned anything, years and years of reading, seeing Star Trek shows, Star Trek movies, reading Star Trek books, Star Trek comic books, and all the different iterations that that property can take. Not everything's going to fit and not everything's going to necessarily work. You can't look at everything as quote unquote canon. You can't look at everything as continuity. If you try to take everything in that mishmash of thousands of different collaborators and all these different ideas put under one banner, you know, try to say it all fits. It can't be done. Right. Okay. Because I think we broke that with, with recasting Kirk and Spock and, rebooting that but people say you know people can talk about the kelvin timeline and spock shooting the red people keep people keep talking about that yeah but i think every every franchise this long with this many reboots to talk to this many generations it can't be a straight line i i mean i look at spider-man now and yes they're still publishing amazing spider-man and it's peter parker and it's supposed to be a through line but Spider-Man and every other media is completely different. Like we right. have Miles, we we have Miles Morales in an animated movie that's ama- that's incredible and has nothing to do with it. We have Tom Holland in this movie. We have Venom in a movie that doesn't connect. We had Andrew Garfield five years ago. It's like you have you have to learn, you have to learn that these this canon is not a is not a set timeline. You know, look at like DC tried to teach us this, at least with Batman. We pick and choose. The Dark Knight Returns is not part of No Man's Land as or Nightfall. Like those they're separate continuities. And you have to come down to the the fact is, is this a good story or a bad story in this franchise? Exactly. And look at uh, look at other movie franchises. Mm-hmm. I mean the Terminator, you know, James Cameron decided to jettison like three Terminator movies yeah. and start over on his own. I heard Dark you know? Fate was good. I still haven't seen it. It's okay. It, yeah. I, I, that's what I heard was possible. better than the three movies that he jettisoned. <laughs> no, I actually like Terminator 3 a bit. I, mean, I like and, Terminator 3 too, the one with Claire Danes. Yeah. Yeah. The ending. I like the ending. It it's was like, very felt, Planet of the Apes, that ending. It, Twilight Zone. I'm like, oh, yeah. I've been watching the Twilight Zone episode this whole time and didn't even realize it. You know? Yeah. No, that was a good one. Planet of the Apes is another one. That's been... Mm. I loved that new trilogy, and there is no way I can reconcile that with the original, which yeah. I love. They don't expect you to. Yeah. Halloween! They're doing it yet again. Hall- uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has been involved in two reboots of the Halloween yes. franchise. And the you third know? Halloween has nothing to do with anything else. Yeah. So, They're you know, when people... Yeah, so, I, so I'm guessing now with people who want to get all... Ah, this, is, this can't be real Star Trek because it's here. I'm like, guys, guys, just... It either works or it doesn't. If you don't find it entertaining, if you don't like it, you don't find it entertaining, then what? Don't worry about it. Don't watch it. Your life will go on. I have come to terms with Alien 3 and 4. Okay? I can do that. It's been done. I've come to terms with both Alien versus Predator movies, which should have been incredible and sucked. Yeah, horrible. And then the whole Prometheus, which... Prometheus. I feel like Prometheus was this movie you didn't understand, and its job was to lead you to Alien Covenant that you didn't want to see. Didn't want, nope. Where it was like, the Alien Covenant is the dumbest Alien movie ever made. And it's like, we spent all of Prometheus to get to this. Yeah, Aliens is a... Well, that's what made me realize um, Fox, now that Fox doesn't exist anymore, 
all the Fox franchises are the worst at keeping their timelines clean because X-Men turned into aliens. Yep. Like, X-Men. And they even did a soft reboot too. Yeah. They yep. had, they had a different Caliban in Logan and X-Men Apocalypse and they came out in the same year. Two different actors with two different powers. And, and the Sabretooths. Don't forget yeah. the Sabretooths. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was Lee Schreiber. He was a wrestler until he was Lee Schreiber. Yeah. Um, they, so, so yeah, so speak, yeah, so with that in mind, thinking of Star Trek Lower Decks and all the other Star Trek um, series, and I will say it's about Lower Decks. One, I hope it finds itself. I look forward to seeing more of it. I want to laugh. It seems like it's got a really fun premise there. Mm-hmm. Seems like we've got some, they've got some talented folks on that show. I just, I want to see some good, me, I'm rooting for some quality shows some quality comedy because right now there's a lot of crap out there and every and it's not like don't get me wrong i i i, I don't want to shit on other writer rooms because i know you know it even bad television is hard to make you know you can have a lot of really talented people working on a show and it just doesn't come out the way you want it to um so everyone's but every once in a while there's that show that's just a gem you go wow i wish more shows were like that like at the same time, I, I can't believe that Chuck Lorre does a sh- did a show like um, Two and a Half Men, which was brilliant for a while and got kind of sucky. They got brilliant again and sucked again. Um, but and then does the Comiskey method, mm-hmm. for, and that show is brilliant from the get go. I'm like going, holy shit! And this completely is a different. There's like no, yeah. there's no DNA of. Two and a half men or the Big Bang Theory in the community. Exactly, yep. And, and it works. You sit there and you go, wait, this is the same guy? I'm looking at the credits and like half the time it's, he's the only writer. And they're going, dude, where were you in all these other shows? Yeah. You know? So Probably I'm pleasing the network. of that, you know? I mean, so I'm C- hoping. CBS is still trying to make the next Everybody Loves Raymond. They, they're dedicated to the multi-camera sitcom. Well, you know, you have to find that. Mm, that bit. As someone who knows a comedian who had a development deal with uh, Disney and had a show that was boom, it was in production and ready to go. And then 2016 happened and suddenly media thought that no one cares about the Hispanics anymore. Huh. Um, so that went away. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then her show ended up turning into one day at a time elsewhere. Uh, you know, I'm like, I, w- I do. I want to see, you know, somebody bring me your vision to things. Bring me something that's that's fresh, that's funny, that speaks to me. You know, there are a lot of folks out there trying. They're trying really hard. You know, at the same time, I watch um, Chuck Lorre, speaking of Chuck Lorre, I watch Moms, you know, the Alice and Janney show. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm hearing, the show's been on for a while. I'm hearing really good things. And the episode I watched was like, eh, kind of uneven. I watch um, The Odd Couple, the... the oh, the Matthew Perry. Perry. And Thomas Lennon. Is that still on? No, but okay. um, CBS has the, all three seasons up. Mm-hmm. And I watched like the first episode and I'm like, ooh, I can see what they were trying to do. And like Matthew Perry's all over because he was like a producer and he was involved in the reboot, the rethinking. And it's, and it's like supposed to be a vehicle for him but he's not that good in it. And Thomas Lennon is just outshining him in every scene. Yeah, because Matthew Perry's Oscar in that, right? Yeah. 
Okay. And Thomas Lennon is Felix. Felix yeah. And I'm telling you, it seems almost perfect. I mean, I could see that. I can, mm-hmm. I can see that. Um, but it's like Pat Perry is not, it's like, uh, not quite working. I'm sure I'm going to watch the rest of it. And hopefully, you know, um, he, you know, he gets more comfortable with it. All I know is that Thomas Lennon was owning the Felix Unger character mm. right from the beginning. You can see that. And then, um, and in Twilight Zone. Yeah, I only um, saw the first one with Kamel Nanjiani and Tracy Morgan because they put it on YouTube. Really I dark. Thought it, was, it was good. I thought it was, it was good, dark. yeah. Yeah, but, but I, I just watched the second. The, the, yeah, the, the next one right after that is um, um, a, a, terror, a remake of Terror at 30,000 Feet hmm. uh, with Adam Scott in the William Shatner role. Or the John Lithgow role, or the John Lithgow role from the movie, but they there's no um, gremlin on the wheel on the wing for this one. Hmm. They, he, they they redid the story, and you know, and Adam Scott was okay. And I remember going, okay, I could see, uh, all right, I like yeah. Adam Scott. Yeah, I think it was kind of fun, you know. Back to but 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 I was like, I was like, I was waiting for the quote unquote Twilight Zone ending that was going to really get me. And they're going, oh, okay, yeah, I guess. All right. Yeah, I, I like the Twilight Zone, and I know they've rebooted it like four or five times, and you always get some good ones. But they're, and I love Jordan Peele. Uh, but after I watched the first one, I was like, yeah, we still have Black Mirror. And I just, and I felt like Black I Mirror was the evolution yeah. of that, that idea. But see, but that's the thing too, because there's a lot of things that people expect from, from the Twilight Zone, right? Like there are certain things that people expect from Star Trek and you say, okay, why? I said a while back, I said, man, I would love to like write a show where it's the West wing, but in the Star Trek universe, like all the political goings ons of like like Federation. Federation, Yeah. Not a ship. And someone hit me back with, well, you then you should watch Babylon five. I'm like, okay, maybe that's what it was, but I don't want to see the Babylon that happened in the Babylon Five universe. I want to see that happen in the yeah. Star Trek universe. You know, just like um, you know, yeah, we have Black Mirror. Black Mirror is its own thing. We expect a certain thing from Black Mirror, as we expect uh, when we say someone boots up the the, the Twilight Zone franchise. There is a certain um, 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 expectation of that, but also brand recognition to it. Yes, people go, why do they keep remaking these shows? Why don't they just make new ones? I go, well, yeah, they do make new ones. But do you know them? Do you watch them? You probably don't because it's not something that you recognize or the, there's something about it. Like, eh. Well, there has to be a familiarity about it. I mean, exactly. And mostly what you're doing with new stuff is you're following talent. Right. Like, you know, I, you have- I thought the best sitcom I've seen in the last five years was The Good Place. And I started watching it because I like Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. And I like Michael Schur. He's a, he's a great, he's a great writer. Yeah. yeah. And that was a show that found itself real quick. I think the last show, the last sitcom that I got into that, you know, and again, I'm not like this, like I said, you know, some shows take a while, like even Seinfeld took time to find yeah. itself. Um, but like the last show that I really, really enjoyed straight through the entire run of the show. And it was consistently good to straight, straight through. Just shoot me. Huh. Remember that was just a shoot- show I came in. That was like wings to me. I came in, I went out, I came it, in, I went out. Yep. 
And that was that show straight through. And I remember it never reached like it, it got good ratings and stuff, but it never reached that that height of like people go, Oh man, you remember that episode of Just Shoot Me? You know, and this happened and that happened. And I'm like, wow. Or like news radio. I love news radio. You know, that's another one. Yeah, news, news radio, radio is like the news radio was the community of the nineties. Exactly. People loved it. If you watched that show, you loved it. Mm-hmm. But it was like, it was from year to year, is news radio going to be renewed? Is it going to yeah. be renewed? You know? And ultimately, it wasn't. After oh, a while, it broke my heart. They, I'm still a fan of Dave Foley from that. And yeah, more but, yeah, I'm a huge Kids in the Hall fan, so I followed him. Oh, there. Yeah. Well, and they, they gave it a lot of chances because, I mean, they did a season after Phil Hartman died and they replaced him with John Lovitz, but and that whole cast is in mourning that entire season. That's not oh, a yeah. fun season to watch. No, they, they had the episode that they dealt with his death, with uh, yeah, Phil's death. Yeah, that's a beautiful episode. But well, that was. And speaking of the West Wing, because there, John Spencer dies like in the last season, and um, and I'm like, I remember when they talk about him dying. I'm like, oh my god, he he died in the middle of the season. And it's like they, they were going in one direction. They had to completely write his character out in the middle of this big arc and in the middle of the season. And I remember watching the show and, you know, and going, okay, we're getting to the point where I know he died. He's going to die at some point. And then, boom, when it happens, you know, it's like when you see the episode where they have the character's funeral and all that's going on, it's like a gut punch because you know that they're dealing with it. Yeah. You know? And even afterwards, um, um, Bradley Whitford has talked about the, the episode, those episodes where they have to deal with the death of John Spencer's character. He goes, yeah, because when I'm, there are scenes that I'm doing this, I go, I'm, I have to cross, I have to deal with not only my character dealing with the death of me, dealing with the death of, of this man. And you see it, it's like all over him, you know, in those episodes. You're like, oh man, that's rough. So... I want. I just want more. Again, but I want more. I want more good shows out there. I don't want to be so critical of everyone. I don't want to. I don't want to crap on everything. I don't want to to be be someone who writes hate clickbait on we got this covered and 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 throw out rumors that you know we got this covered as the Breitbart of geekdom. They are, aren't they? Yes. Everything's a lie. Everything's yeah. They're making crap up all the time. Yeah. It's like right. It's, I can't believe there right now. There's this hateful little corner of the internet that is just rooting for Kathleen Kennedy to be fired from from running Lucasfilm. And they're already saying that she's been fired from Star Wars. I'm like, the fuck? How do you how do you fire a president? How do you how do you fire your boss from working on something? You know these are these are ugh, just drives me nuts. It's like you know, they're angry people. I'm like, you know what? Just like, fuck you who can't uh, appreciate the fact that we're getting Star Wars now. That we're getting these things. That, you know, when I was a we're kid. Star Wars every year. We've never every got year. Star Wars every year. You've got shows. You've got games. You've got movies to look forward to. you got all that stuff. I remember I had to wait forever for something new. And you know what I got after Return of the Jedi? You know what was my reward? You know what I got to sate me afterwards? I got two. Two Ewok adventure movies. <laughs> that was it. I had to be happy with it, damn it. The Ewok adventure movies were like the lights going on in a bar. You know? All right, <laughs> like, guys. All right, come on. Got, you got to get out of here. 
Yeah, go. But we Remember, already killed Darth Vader. Go home. And you know what? You know what got to tide me over between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, folks. Holiday specials. Holiday specials. Shut up. Yep. The one bright spot, though. And, and Mark spot. Hamill hosting the Muppet Show. That was it. That was the one bright spot. And he shows up in his costume from, from Empire. Empire, because they were shooting it. And I think I, that looks like it's a giant favor because Frank Oz was doing Yoda. And they all shot in England. So it's like... Knowing, knowing what we know about Mark Hamill now, like Frank Oz was probably just sitting with him on set. It was like, hey, you should do the Muppet Show one time. I would love to do the Muppet oh, Show. Oh, yeah. It's funny because. And then George he, called Jim and they set it up. I think he tweeted, he tweeted a, a clip from the Muppet Show on, um, on, on his account, on a Twitter account. And it's a scene where Chewbacca's dancing. Yes. And it's funny, whenever you see Chewbacca in any of those other appearances, the TV appearances, he's never wearing his bandolier. He's and he just, looks naked. He looks naked. And then I remember watching that, and I, I tweeted at Mark Hamill. I go, isn't it weird? I go, wow, how could Chewbacca go on The Muppet Show without wearing any pants? or complete? Why is he always completely naked when he's anywhere else? And Mark Hamill liked my tweet. Aww. Because, of course... The, the, the joke that Mark Hamill always makes about Star Wars is that when they would get the studio notes back from they see the studio, see the footage from A New Hope, they wanted to, apparently one of the studio execs asked why the Wookiee wasn't wearing any pants. <laughs> <laughs> I said, dude, you need to write a memoir and that should be the, top, the title of it. Yeah. Isn't wearing, wearing any pants. Well, speaking of following people in their writings, uh, Elliot, since we can't find you in the real world, <laughs> how can we find you online? Uh, right now, you know, it's, I'm going to admit, it's been a little bit harder because one, social media is turning into a dumpster fire. Yeah. I mean, Twitter at least. Twitter is a raging I, dumpster fire. I still keep t Twitter as curated as I can. The problem is I only follow people I respect and I only talk to people I like. Problem is they're usually reposting something awful. Exactly. Like a lot of the time, you know, again, back to the hateful little corners of the internet, there is a lot of time there are people out there complaining about shit that I wouldn't even know that people were complaining if the people who I like and respect weren't amplifying their voices by talking exactly, about it. Exactly, yeah. You know, like these comic, comics gate, which really should just go away. I know, you know? yeah, Ethan Van Skyver and his minions. Oh, God. You know, I, I don't follow, I used to follow Ethan. I never used followed his, him, yeah. But. I used to be his friend on Facebook, and then when I started hearing all the crap he'd go into, I mean, there were times when I'd be, oh, no, that's kind of funny, I get you. But then when he would go into his trolling mode, you know, he's saying shit to troll people. Yeah, you know, just to just to get a rise out of him. And after a while, like you get tired of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, he did parlay that into what, like almost a quarter million for a book that, you know, people are still waiting for, whatever. Um, but you know, but after a while, but I don't he's also that. not getting hired to draw anything. Yeah, no one wants to work with you. When you're yeah. when you're being a jerk about things, no one wants to work with you. Then fine. Okay. So all those folks are like that, unfollow, don't want to deal with you. The brief time I had some I had some encounters with some comic skate guys, and it's usually because John Layman is you know dicking around with some of those guys. John Layman hates those guys, and 
and I'll see him and I go, John, why do you even bother? You know, the only reason I know this dude exists is because he's showing up in your mentions. And I'm like, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. So, I, so for the most part, I kind of like shut that off. Don't watch. Um, but anyway, but if you yeah, it's like tweet- Gail, Gail Simone is a lot like that. And like I feel, and Mark Wade, because they take a lot of shit. And they're not taking their punching back. But I don't know about these things that are happening until Mark Wade and Gail Simone, who I, I love both as people and as artists, um, yeah. bring it to my attention. Gail Simone and Mark Wade are two good people. Yes. Do, do I like everything they write? Not necessarily. Do, yeah, do I always have they Have they each them? written things that I absolutely fucking love? Yes. Yes, that too. Um, do I always agree with them? No, but I know they are good people. They are just gen- genuinely good people who care about other people. So that's fine. And then other people act want to act like they're total ed- demons and e- evil and whatever. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm sidetracking here. We were um, in a plug. That's where we were. <laughs> we're in a plug. So because of those hateful little shits who can't like who can't be civil to each other and disagree civilly. Um, you can tweet me at Elliot Serrano, tweet me directly and I will see it. And then if you're nice, I can respond, but I don't deal so much there. If you want to troll me at my Twitter, you can go on ahead and do it. You can troll me all you want. At least make me laugh, make it funny. If you make it funny, I'll respond. If you don't, you're just going to get muted and you'll, you can scream into the void for all I care. Now, if you want to go to my Facebook page where that I actually have curated, where I actually hang out with my friends and my family and my friends like you, that's where yeah, you we talk you. all the time on there. Yeah. On Facebook. If we talk not, on this podcast and we talk on Facebook. You know, it's funny. We never like talk on the phone or anything. It's who weird. talks on the phone. Actually, no one does. Right. No, I used <laughs> to see you though. I used to, I used to send you messages on Facebook and go, let's meet at a place and do a thing. And we would do it. That would, we used, to both I, I work, we used to both work in a city and I used to come by your office and we'd go to a bar. That was the world then. It's not the, the greatest. world now. I feel, you know, and for all those folks who get those memes that say, for a million dollars, would you live in a cabin in the woods for a year with no internet or whatever? I go, you're all full of shit now because you obviously can't, can't handle it. So anyway, but if you were nice and you want to find me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Elliot.Serrano or Facebook.com slash King of Geeks Chicago. If you want to follow me, I'm at Not On My Book on Instagram and on Twitter. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social networking feed. You can also go to our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Caffeinated Comics, where we post all the news. And if you want to listen to the show every week, if you're not subscribed, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or just go to RadioMisfits.com and click on the Lifestyle tab, and you can see episodes for years and years and years. Happy quarantining. We'll talk to you next week.